Welcome to the Carolinas, where serial killers, abductions, and mysterious circumstances are abundant. Join me, Tiffany, and my co-host Sam, two moms, as we cover local true crime cases that will leave you wanting more. Tune in every weekend for our new episodes where we rotate between North Carolina and South Carolina true crime cases. Find us on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio, and follow us on our social media. We're on Instagram at Cola City Crime, and you can find our Facebook page by searching our name, Cola City Crime. This podcast covers true crime cases that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Hey, Mock Stars. Welcome back. You're listening to Malice and Mocktails. I'm your host, Katie. And I'm Emily. And we are so excited for 2023. We took uh, the month of December off. So if you're still listening to us, (laughs) thank you so much. Welcome back. Welcome back. It was a much needed hiatus, in my opinion. I don't know about you, Emily. Yes, very much so. The holidays were um, were very rough. Yeah. yeah. For th- those of you who are our longtime listeners, you know we uh, recently lost our mom. For those of you who are new, if this is your first episode, welcome. Um, we lost our mo- mom back in uh, August, so this was our first holiday season um, without her, so that was um, very rough. So, Katie's, uh, so, so we took the month of December off to be with our family and, and, and deal with that. Yeah. So, so welcome back and we've missed you guys. Yes, we have. Um, I am so excited. So, um, and we'll get into this, uh, this case here in just a second, but, um, I want to first give a huge, huge thank you to our very first patrons over on our Patreon page. Actually, I thought I had um, like canceled our, our like people being able to, to donate or I guess give, give money um, to access the, the um, patron only section. Um, And so when I, when I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, I was really excited. And so now it's kind of also motivated me to actually put stuff on our Patreon. So Emily and I are going to work on fun, like bonus episodes and other things. And like right now I don't have any tiers set up. I did before. um, But again, I I thought I took that away because we just weren't weren't doing anything. So if there's anything that y'all like might want to see on the Patreon, um, if you, if, if you choose to, you know, donate whatever or give us your dollars um to support the show we would love to um you know give give you what you want so i was gonna say something else and now i totally forgot um anyway let's just jump into this case shall we so today i'm gonna be telling um emily and our audience about john wesley harden and he is an infamous texas outlaw 
and I randomly came across this guy while looking for crimes that happened in Cossey, Texas. And Emily and I are planning um, to go up that way while it's up to Horton, Texas, where our grandfather is buried, to spread some of our mom's ashes at some point. And I thought that we could check out like a few of the small towns nearby. And so I was like, well, let me see if there's any, you know, true crime or crimey related things. And this dude popped up. So I fell down a rabbit hole and um, there's one book that I found that was super helpful in this, in telling his, um, his story. And I don't know about you guys, but I still like romanticize the wild west in oh, a yeah. weird way. Like I probably shouldn't because like Emily, if you or I lived anywhere like in that time period, we I'd be an old maid for sure because we don't have any kids. Oh yeah, one hundred. <laughs> yeah, definitely spinsters. Um, no running water. Uh, no antidote for snake bites. No thanks. Yeah. No. No thank yeah, you. No. 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 It's it, it seems <laughs> you know not like all the fancy dresses and things like that, but no, no. Yeah. yeah. So, but John, it also does. You know, like, but also, you know, the fashion was way better, was way better. I don't know about you, but corsets suck. (laughs) Well, uh, it's a, it depends because I mean, if you have bad posture, corsets just prop you right up. That's true. And they make you look amazing. And as long as you're not doing a, uh. Uh, 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 the corset where you're trying to make yourself skinnier, as long as you're just doing the corset just enough to, to make you stand upright. It's kind of awesome. <laughs> I, I have a friend who makes herself historical costumes and she put me in one of her corsets and it was kind of awesome. Okay. But I wouldn't want to eat while wearing a corset. No, it's no, you, that wouldn't happen. And it's very hard to breathe. Yeah. Yeah. Not going to happen. Anyway. So John Harden was born in Bonham, Texas around 1853 and later would move to Polk County with his parents, James and Elizabeth Harden. And he was the third child of the couple. And for geographical reference, Bonham is near Dallas, which is in North Texas. And Polk County is in northeast, I'm sorry, is northeast of Houston, which is in East Texas. This damn state is humongous. And oh, yeah. Yeah, I can, I can drive an hour and a half and still be in the greater Houston metropolis. Oh, it's like. bananas. It is <laughs> ridiculous. Jesus. Um, so uh, Hardin's father was a Methodist preacher and a lawyer. So it's no wonder his son became an outlaw. Jokes. <laughs> JK. As, as a young man, he seemed to be very in tune with nature and enjoyed being outdoors. Most days he would take his dogs, his gun, and Jack, the family horse, into the fields, swamps, and forests where he hunted raccoons and possum. He would take the horse. Would he yeah, take Jack. the horse or would he ride the horse? He'd probably ride the horse. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just imagining him <laughs> with a dog on a leash and then also like with the horse on his halter or lead rope. Like, <laughs> Well, I imagine the dogs are probably free running. They're probably not on leashes. Oh, that's, that's right. That's right. The dogs would be. Oh, my gosh. 
um, one anecdote I read goes like this. Jack the horse um, strayed from their property uh, one day and John had to go fetch him. So along the way home, um, John's dogs cornered four raccoons in an oak tree. And these raccoons wouldn't come down, obviously. So John went up right after them. Naturally, right? It's like, hold of my course. When I go <laughs> before, before ascending the tree, he backs Jack up to like be below the tree where, um, I guess to like brace, like break his fall or something. I really don't know. Did um, he, maybe he used Jack to get higher up in oh, the tree. I think you're right. Yes. I, I didn't read far ahead in my notes. Um, and Come I, on, I Katie, remember... you got to think like a short person. <laughs> Use what you have available to climb. <laughs> so, um, the raccoons climbed up the tree and soon they all reached the point where they couldn't go any further. And at this point, um, John ties himself to the trunk of the tree. Um, oh yeah. And proceeds to defend himself with a tree limb as the raccoons attack him. <laughs> and so I can, I can see him like standing on the branch, like swinging frantically and as they charge him, he swings at them to try and knock them to the ground. And he ends up losing this tree branch and basically ensues in hand-to-hand -hand combat with these raccoons. Oh my gosh. Um, he manages to knock all of them to the ground where the dogs do what they do. Right. And um, he later described this experience of survival as him having what he called pluck. So luck with a P, pluck. Uh -huh. And he defined it as to mean like luck or courage. I guess. I mean, was this hunting? Was was he uh, going after these raccoons for a meal, or well, does he no, just eat raccoons? Just, I don't know. I mean, was it maybe just pro food? probably a meal? I mean, you're gonna eat which what you can get. And I don't yeah. know if they were farmers or. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So. God, and the raccoons were probably huge. Oh my God. Well, they're, yeah, they're huge raccoons now. Raccoons so big. Yes, I know. And they're like little creepy hands and. <laughs> I think they're super cute. I, I think they're I super like cute too. Um, yeah. Oh, oh geez. How did he, oh my gosh. He needs to go home and bathe all of his scratches. Cause I'm sure they tore him up. Probably. Yes. So, um, so also from what I could tell, um, like his younger years were relatively uneventful other than that crazy story. And by all accounts, he was a good kid. That is until he decides to make the decision to shoot and kill a man at 15, 15. Well, and you know, they grew up pretty, they grew up pretty quick back then because well, it was either do that or. Learn quick or die. Yeah, but uh, in this entire series of events, it just sounds fucking stupid to me, but here we go. <laughs> so, and maybe, I don't, maybe I'm just being naive, but I, whatever. So in November of 1868, John Hardin was visiting his uncle Barnett on his cotton plantation near Livingston, Texas. 
And in those days, you know, you'd sit outside in the evening and talk about the day, you'd play games, um, watch the lightning bugs, horseplay, I don't know, like whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so John's cousin, Barnett Jones, decided to match himself and John against a man named Major Mage Holzhausen. I think that's how you pronounce it. And Mage was a freedman, um, so a former former slave, and was the um, uh, sorry was the former slave of a man named Judge Claiborne Holhausen, and he was also um, Uncle Barnett's brother-in-law. So he was um, he was John's uncle, I think. That's how that goes, technically. Okay. So cousin Barnett. And John, um, they wrestle Mage, who is described as likely being a larger man with a reputation as being the best wrestler in the area. So I don't know what these two puny kids thought they were going to do. But anyway, like you can't learn if you don't try. I guess not. you're you're better than I am. I'm like, you know, like, but I'm, I think I'm looking at it through modern glasses. Well, I if he's at it through. If he's their, if he's their uncle, no, no, um, no, 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 who, who, the the guy that they're wrestling. No, 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 Mage, Mage is the wrestling Mage who is the freedman. He's the former slave of this guy. Oh, I thought I thought Mage was the uncle. The judge who was the former slave owner is the uncle. Correct. Okay. 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 Well, I mean, still, I mean, they probably kind of grew up around him. Um, So I'm looking at it optimistically, like maybe they're (laughs) friends and they're trying to like he's giving them a wrestling lesson, basically, or they're just they're horsing around. Okay, okay, we can look at it that way. Anyway, um, odds are Mage um, probably pinned these two kids um, all in good fun, of course. But their pride was probably bruised. You know how it goes. Well, yeah, because he probably whooped their butts. Yeah. <laughs> and um, however, Hardin claims that the two of the the two of them bested Mage twice. The second oh. time, drawing blood. <gasps> no, um, probably just like from his face, like you know, he hit him or whatever. Um, yeah, making him, no, making him bleed. And Mage got angry and allegedly threatened the boys, saying he would kill them or die trying, something along those lines, according Mm -hmm. to the the book I read. Um, Things got heated, and Uncle Barnett ordered Mage off the plantation. The next morning, John Hardin left the plantation and made his way home on horseback. He ends up coming across Mage, walking along the same path, Apparently, mm-hmm. Mage um, hears the, the horse coming behind him, turned and recognized Hardin. Um, obscenities were exchanged, and oh, Hardin tried to flee, but Mage grabbed the horse's bridle, bringing the horse to a stop. Hardin dismounts and shoots Mage point blank. Uh, maybe he panics, maybe not, okay. I don't know. But Hardin flees to go get his uncle, the judge. Uh, remember, this is Mage's former owner. They return to the scene, and Mage is still alive, calling John a liar. 
because I imagine John is telling his uncle like he attacked me and I'm yeah defending myself. Um, so the judge gives John a $20 gold piece and tells him to go home and explain what happened to his father. I don't know why he gives him money. I, I don't, I don't know, but. Maybe that was the only way he could get the kid to go away. Uh, maybe. Maybe it just Cause, seems. Because does Mage die while the boy is going to his dad? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, because yeah. the judge killed him. Well. So he paid him off. We don't know that. <laughs> no, speculation, but it does sound good, doesn't it? It, it does. Well, I. I mean, it sounds terrible. It sounds horrible, but... But uh, it sounds plausible. A plausible explanation. Because, um, like, I don't know. Like, what are the odds that he would, like, randomly come across Mage on this same path? Um, Depends on how many paths there are. Well, exactly. Depends on how Mage know. lives. I, depends on what Mage was out doing. Yeah, so... Unfortunately, like I said, Mage would die from his wounds that same month. And Harden is now a murderer and goes on the run, the run, the run at the advice of his father. Oh, wow. Yeah. And this killing did not go unnoticed by authorities. The Freedmen's Bureau, which was created to help establish civil rights for former enslaved people, including education, jury duty, voting, and the holding of political offices. But the, the Bureau kept a complaint register and a record of violent crimes occurring between 1867 and 1868. And they sure as hell took note of Mage's murder. Hardin shot him five times. Oh, what? According to the um, the record. The, what? Oh, yeah. must have been a revolver. Because I was like, I, I was thinking one of the single shot guns. And I was like, how do you shoot somebody five times on accident with one of the guns where you have to <laughs> reload manually? But if it's a revolver, that actually makes sense. Well, or maybe he did reload. Oh, my God. I don't, I don't know. Um, so various law enforcement agencies took note of the slaying, and on July 16th, 1870, so two years later, the sheriff of Polk County sent notice to the chief of the Texas State Police letting him know that Hardin was wanted for murder and that he was pursued immediately following the murder, but Hardin escaped. Oops. So he's, he's on the lam. And um, apparently, so, okay, I was wondering, like, why would his dad, like, encourage him to, to like, flee? Like, get the heck out of here. Because um, his dad's a lawyer. And he's, well, he's a preacher, too. Like, come on. Do you need Jesus? Yeah. yeah. Um, but apparently his dad thought once the Democrats, so at this point in time, the Republicans um, are in power, like, in the White House. And... Um, his father thought once the Democrats were back in political power that John would be assured a fair trial. He was afraid that if he went on trial for killing Mage, he would like for sure be sentenced to either life in prison or death or whatever. Uh, but in reality, like I bet had John gone to trial 
he wouldn't have seen jail time or major punishment. I mean, I don't know. I don't know, because they could spin it. It, it. it depends on how good the lawyers on both sides were. Well, then who's on the jury and all that And who's on too. the jury? Because, I mean, they could totally spin it as a, as a hate crime. Yeah. Which it could have been. Which it could have been. Mm-hmm. Or they could spin it as, you know, grown man versus 15-year-old boy. Yeah. And 15-year-old boy thinking rationally, et cetera, et cetera. So I just, I don't know. Yeah. I, and it also depends on like both people's standings within the community too. Cause if they know that the boy is a hothead or if they knew that mage was a hothead, that would bring the outcome too. So mm-hmm. with dad thinking, mm, you better just skip town. Don't even go to trial. That sounds to me more like the kid's a hothead. Mm, maybe so. Yeah. It sound, sound, sounds to me more like, because they were small communities where everybody knew everybody. So, I mean, if Mage was known to be a hothead, it would have been, it would have been easy. Like, yeah, sure, y'all, yeah, sure, that somebody might have wanted to take a, um, a hate crime stance. But if Mage was known to be an upstanding part of the community, like, it would be pretty easy to say, hey, the kid kid's a hothead mage is great he's going to jail yeah yeah i can see that so um so john goes on the lamb like i said and he hands it heads up to logales prairie to live with his brother and that's near huntsville which is also in east texas and by 1869 john has killed five people Sounds like a hothead to me. Yeah. Yeah. And he basically runs around East Texas during this time. He's in and out of jail for a variety of infractions. Uh, Like I said, he apparently has killed a bunch of folks. And I don't know if all these are verified or just tall tales. Either way, he seems like a pretty bad dude. And he's still a teenager at this point. Oh, my gosh. Um. Okay, so by age um, 18, he moved to Gonzales County, and he married a lovely woman named June. And she was 14 at the time, but that's normal. That's normal for this time, remember? Wait, how old was he when he married 14-year-old June? 18. 18. Okay, all right. And from what I can tell from, like, ancestry and newspapers, I think they had two kids together. Um, But Hardin... He was frequently absent, I think, from the marriage, preferring the company of his buddies and just being an outlaw. Um, This is somewhat off topic, but I just found it interesting. So apparently concealed carry of a gun was against the law in most Western communities at this time. Hmm. I just, I don't know. I don't know why I think that's weird for that time period. Maybe just because I think that there's like no... No law and order at this time, but which is stupid. I know that's not true. Well, I um, mean, could they open carry or yeah. were they just... No, because oh, okay. everybody they had hide carried the... their gun. Yeah. But of course, it was frequently violated. And it's mage? not mage. No. Ugh. No. On May 26th, 1874, uh, John was in Comanche celebrating his 21st birthday. 
with some buddies with horse racing, other forms of gambling, as one does. And they weren't hurting anybody or really causing a ruckus. So the sheriff was basically like set on kind of turning a blind eye. Like, okay, have your fun, whatever. And John and one of his friends, Jim Taylor, were actually, they're wanted men. And Taylor has a bounty on his head for his part in the, um, what was called the Sutton Taylor feud, which again is something that we'll cover um, probably in the Patreon episode. I think I'm not sure yet, but it just, it, but that's another bananas feud. Like feuds are I, like, again, when researching this case, I fell down this rabbit hole and um, I love a good feud. there were, I mean, think, uh, think, um, think Hatfield, Hatfield yes. and McCoy. Yes. Love a good, um, ridiculous it's family just, but feud. They, it, it's crazy. <clears throat> it is absolutely crazy. And like the, the reasons that some of these feuds started, whether they can be um, verified or not, are also just wild. So, um, and we'll, like I said, we'll, we'll get to that in like um, later, either Patreon or something, but anyway. um, So John, of course, is also wanted for reportedly murdering a bunch of people. And, um, the deputy, Deputy Webb, was kind of annoyed that the sheriff wasn't going to arrest these men or basically like letting them do what they want. Um, and Webb is like, no, like I'm here to serve and protect and enforce the law. So he grabs his two pistols, mounts his horse, and he rides 25 miles to Comanche. I mean, he probably would have refused to identify himself. Um, but who knows? And so Deputy Webb, being coy, says, well, now I know you, but I don't have any papers for your arrest. Uh, Hardin says, I've been informed that the sheriff of Brown County has said that Sheriff Carnes of this county was no sheriff at all, or he wouldn't allow me to stay around Comanche with my murdering pals. Um, he i mean he's not really wrong no no but like dude in your lane (laughs) oh my god so yes so deputy webb confessed that a manhunt had brought him to comanche and the pair apparently agreed to go into the saloon and have a drink like what but okay uh i know okay so Hardin um, moves ahead, and as he opens the door, his cousin Bud Dixon, who would be killed later um, by a mob, and I'll get to that, oh. uh, shouts to Hardin to look out. Hardin spins around, drawing his pistol, and Webb, Deputy Webb, had got off a shot, striking Hardin in the side, and Hardin returns fire, fatally hitting Webb in the cheek. Wow. So I imagine it probably got either his head or an artery or something. So Hardin um, like barely made it out of Comanche with his life. And so he's he's fleeing again. Sorry, I'm trying to picture how uh, a shot to the cheek would be fatal. But if he shot him in the cheek, like, towards the rest of his skull, then right. yeah, like, if it goes, like, 
I was thinking like a glancing blow, mm -hmm. but um, but if he shot him in like the cheek and it went deeper into his his head, then yeah, totally. Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. That would exactly. not be comfortable. On June 5th, 1874, um, Hardin's brother Joe was in Comanche and an angry, angry mob rides into town with intent to hang him and his cousins. Oh my God. Tom and Bud Dixon. And I'm pretty sure the intent was to, to, to get revenge for the murder of uh, Deputy Webb, but Joe likely had nothing to do with anything. He was a lawyer and by all accounts, a law-abiding citizen. So this mob finds these men and leads them through the streets of Comanche to a grove of oak trees where they proceed to hang them until they're dead. John was in Austin when he heard of Joe's death and he made his way to Comanche as soon as he could. And he asked where his brother was buried and was shown to the area of Live Oaks. There he swore to avenge Joe's death and according to a newspaper article I read, a few days following the hanging of Joe, two more members of the Hardin clan were shot and killed near Comanche. Wow, so Comanche's just done with the whole Hardin clan. I, I guess so. They're just like, none of y'all, none of y'all are allowed here. Y'all are all bad. Mm. Good Lord. And soon after all this chaos, a bounty of $4,000 was put on John Hardin's head and the Texas Rangers were set loose to find this dude. And $4,000 then is about $100,000 now. Oh my God. So John is like, okay, I got to go. And he manages to get the heck out of Texas and makes his way to Florida. This dude evades capture for three years. Wait, and he did, he did what for three years? He evades capture. He evades, thank you. Yes. And Texas Ranger Lieutenant John Armstrong follows his trail the entire time and finally catches up with him in Pensacola, Florida. Oh, yeah. my! one of my coworkers used to live in Pensacola. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Hardin um, from there was taken to Gonzales, Texas for his trial. Um, I don't know why they wouldn't have gone to Austin. Maybe Gonzales is uh, like the county seat of um, where Comanche is. I don't know uh, how, how all that worked back then. I'm sure it's similar to how it works now, but anyway. Um, so Hardin claimed the shooting of Webb was in self-defense. Um, and this, again, this is the only murder he's ever charged with, even though he has claimed to kill like 40 plus people. It takes the jury 90 minutes to deliberate and find him guilty of second-degree murder. And he was sentenced to 25 years in the state pen, which is in Huntsville. Yeah. Yep. 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 It's really beautiful, pretty. by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Huntsville has um, how many prisons now? Five? Six? I think so. It's like, I think it's the largest... Um, what am I trying to say? It's, uh, they have the most prisons like per capita, I think. Hmm. Yeah. But the city itself is gorgeous. Visit Huntsville. <laughs> it has grown. So Emily Oh my I've, gosh. It's so, it's grown so much. Go ahead, Katie. 
Yeah, no, Emily and I both went to Sam Houston State University, which is there in Huntsville. And when I went back in a million years ago, um, back in 2001 is when I started and I was there until 2005. It was like, it was a small, quaint little town, but it has grown so much and the campus has grown. It's, it's not my small it's I insane. <laughs> I've I've been out of college for a few years. Um, and going back, it I got lost. I got <laughs> lost. I was like, what even what are all these huge like eight-story buildings? What is happening? And there yeah. are now sculptures, and I was like, why is there a sculpture of a raven? The school's mascot is a bear cat like what's happening apparently they used to be the ravens like there's just it's grown so much but still i feel like the heart of the town is still the cute one block city center where they do all sorts of fairs they do fair on the square the airing of the quilts they do scare on the square which is basically trunk or treat um which they've been doing for years um pre-pandemic um and it's just really cute they do a reenactment in the town park like it's just you if you're in texas or if you're coming to texas you should go to huntsville it's very cute it's very quaint yeah it's um it's about an hour north of houston like the greater houston area so it's it it could be a nice day trip yes an hour north of the greater houston area (laughs) Yes. Um, yeah, Lovely definitely. If, I would say if you're not familiar with with Texas, just Google Houston and zoom out, like on Google Maps. It it's it's huge. Like they have like four loops, or is anyway. We're getting off track, but no, um, we only have we only have two loops. Two. We've got six ten, and we've got the Beltway. Okay. Um, it just looks well. Massive. It's massive. It's huge. It's uh-huh. massive, and we call we. I call the suburbs, um, all the suburbs are their own unique, their own individual cities, um, but they're, they all touch each other as if they're just part of Houston, which is called, why it's called the greater Houston area, because all of the cities around Houston butt up against each other and butt up against Houston as if it's all one city, but they're all governed by their own um government council yeah well yeah they have their own uh mayor their own municipalities i think sure if that's the word yeah i don't know anyway (laughs) anyway so um john goes to huntsville to prison and he apparently studies law during his time here um and after serving about 17 years i think um the governor at the time jim hogg secured him a full pardon in February of 1894. And I honestly, I didn't look too far into this as to like why he was pardoned. Apologies. Um, But yeah, I don't, I I don't know. But um, his wife, Jane, also sadly dies while he's in prison. Um, And apparently, so, okay, he studies law. He did practice law for a little bit in Rock Springs but found it to be unfulfilling. And later on, he remarries to a woman named Callie Lewis. 
Um, she was much younger than him, apparently. Um, they weren't married for a very long time either. Um, and from what I could tell, he kind of just like palled around and finally settled in El Paso, which is on the like opposite complete end, the complete opposite. opposite end of West, West Texas, like the tippy tip. Um, I think it's by... a 10 hour drive. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. I think from, from East, like the very Eastern border of Texas to El Paso is about 10 hours and you were still in Texas. Still like, like it. It baffles me sometimes. Me. Well, and it's completely different climates because over here, yes. yeah, 10 hours, 10 hours and six minutes. It's 746 miles. Oh my gosh. Yeah. From Houston, so, from Houston. Yeah. And over in Houston, and granted, I know that Houston is very like right near the, the coast. I say mm -hmm. right near, it's, it's close mm -hmm. enough. So it's very humid, mm -hmm. green, lush. Mm -hmm. very. And the further west you go, it becomes desert dry yeah. there's, there's no paso el paso is very much a desert mm -hmm. um well uh, sagebrush tumbleweeds mm -hmm. it's very if you've, watched some, if you've watched some wily e. coyote cartoons <laughs> it looks like that and okay so he gets to el paso um toward the turn of the century where he stirred up the local outlaws apparently people are like oh John Harden is here. Ooh. Yeah, woo, local celebrity now. Yeah. And one of the one of those outlaws was a man named John Selman, who earlier escaped a vigilante committee. So basically, I think a vigilante committee was going to to probably hang him or something. Oh, I thought you were saying they were going after him because he was a vig vig vigilante. Woo. But no, the vigilantes were going after him. Yes. Oh, great. Jeez. And less than a year after settling in El Paso, John Harden was shooting dice, gambling like he does, at the Acme yeah. Saloon in August of 1895. What? When... Wait. Did you see the Acme Saloon? Yes. Ah, was... I like... just brought up Coyote, Wiley Coyote. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And the Acme Saloon used to be, well, I looked on Google and I don't think that building is where it, I mean, it's where it was, but I don't think the building is, um, is that same building, if that makes sense. Like, I think it's a newer building. Oh, okay. That replaced the Acme Saloon. I'll put some maps on our socials. Oh my gosh. <laughs> if, okay, if any of our listeners don't, understand why I'm giggling so much about Acme and Wiley e. Coyote. I'm pretty sure all of you do, but just in case, since we do have listeners um, across the globe, um, if uh, so in the Looney Tunes cartoons, especially um, particularly the Wiley e. Coyote um, cartoons, he is a very smart coyote trying to get the Roadrunner, and he always purchases his equipment, his clandestine equipment from the Acme company. Yes. And all of his things that he purchased work great, but it always works against him. Instead of blowing up the Roadrunner, he blows himself up. So yes, pretty funny. Yes. So yeah, so they're at the Acme Saloon in August of 1895 when 
John Selman reportedly shoots John in the head, killing him. And like the the reasons for why he did this um, are kind of murky. Um, I read about it in a book called John Wesley Hardin, Dark Angel of Texas, written by Leon Metz. And um, I mean, he speculates uh, it could have been right, like merely trying to keep himself um, as like, you know, the best gunman in town. He could have been jealous for one reason or another, insulted. I, I don't know. I don't know. So hmm. he goes, he goes to trial. Um, so John Selman, yeah, he goes to trial in El Paso in uh, April of 1896. And the state actually subpoenaed like 29 witnesses. Wow. And the defense owned like 32. Um, Jeez, the whole freaking town. I know. Like, that's what I thought after reading that. I was like, who? Where'd these people come from? <laughs> I, again, I don't know. I don't know how big El Paso was, though, at that time. So Right. El Paso was probably pretty big back then. Yeah. Jeez. Um, it, that had to be everybody in the saloon at the time, the gambling den, the bar across the street. Yeah. So, I mean, the witnesses, most of the witnesses testified. Um, and, like, the bartender kind of elaborated a little bit by stating that um, Selman's gun, like the muzzle of his gun, was between like one and two feet from Harden's head. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. And Harden had his back to Selman and was leaning on the bar um, when all this happened. Oh, so Selman shot it, him in the back? What a schmuck. That's what I'm gleaning. And then, so apparently, I mean, the jury voted 10 to 2 for acquittal, and then a new trial was reset for the following year. What? I don't know why, though. Like, I don't, I guess they couldn't. Well, but if he's acquitted, why would he go to trial again? Right. Right? Am I thinking yeah. about that correctly? I, I, I think so. Huh. So, but... I mean... We need Emily D. Baker to to explain that. And this part, okay, this next part, I thought was like a wild caper. Um, but so anyway, that is the tale of John Harden, Texas outlaw. And apparently in 1995, which marked the 100-year anniversary of John's death, several people from Nixon, Texas, including an undertaker, came up with this bonkers plan to exhume John Hardin's remains and smuggle them back to Nixon to rebury them. What? That's what I said. Why? Here, I'll get to that. Okay. So Leon, Leon Metz, the author of... Um, the Dark Angel of Texas, the book I mentioned a few moments ago, mm -hmm. says that he didn't really take this seriously, but several folks in their group did. So they decided to remove the headstone 
of John's grave um, to throw off the grave robbers. Later that day, some other well-meaning folks hoping to stop the grave robbers found the headstone gone and thought the grave had already been disturbed. So they called the cops. Oh my God. Archaeologists were called and it turned into this like big to do. And it was determined that the body was still in its place and all was fine. Around 7 p.m. that same evening, guess who rolls into the cemetery? The, the group. Yeah, the group from Nixon rumored to want to take the body. Oh, my God. They apparently had a signed certificate from the Texas Department of Health authorizing them to disinter the body. But a police officer guarding the body handed them an injunction forbidding any removal until the situation was resolved. Drama. And this goes to trial in January of 1996. (laughs) Can the Department of Health grant the grant permission to disinter? I thought that would be... Uh, it probably depends on who owns the cemetery, like who manages, yeah. if it's a private cemetery, if it's a, like a city cemetery. Um, Weird. Yeah. So the Concordia Heritage Society of El Paso v. this Nixon faction, um, I don't know what they were called or who was representing them, but they go back and forth. And on February 19th, 1996, Judge Kathleen Olivares ruled in favor of the Concordia Heritage Society. So Hardin would stay where he was. So I think I think the the folks from Nixon claimed that June and some of John's other relatives were buried in Nixon and they wanted him to be like with his family. Well what about a second but wife? I don't I don't know. <laughs> They weren't married very long. Um, So? But I don't know if there's any proof that any of the families actually buried in Nixon. Oh, my gosh. But you can read more about this and that. And and John Wesley Hardin in Metz's book. Um, So, yeah. Wow. That's nuts. (laughs) I know. A hundred years after his death, people are trying to move his body. I know. It was like, what is happening right now? Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's nuts. It's bananas. It is. It's bananas. It's bananas. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, um, wow. <clears throat> yes. So, on that note, um, mocktails. Yay. Do we have a Wild West themed mocktail? Oh my God. Tell me you found some sarsaparilla. <laughs> so I did, I was trying to come up with something and it's going to be really campy, but um, I, I love it, campy. I called it the raspberry rattler. Ah! <laughs> I love it. And um, I was still, I haven't actually made it and I hate admitting that, but I'm going to be honest. I don't want to. Fair, no, fair. But I was um, thinking that it would involve um, some fresh raspberries, mm-hmm. fresh mint leaves, some mm-hmm. rosemary, mm-hmm. sparkling water, and maybe some honey as an optional choice. Mm, okay, okay. And um, I would muddle the berries and the herbs uh-huh. and the honey, if you're using that, in a glass or a shaker. 
and then you're going to add the sparkling water and give it a stir. And then you're going to strain that into a glass with ice and add more sparkling water if you want, and then garnish with some fresh berries. Sounds good. And um, one other thing, I have rediscovered what are called shrubs. <laughs> and Emily is just dying. Because I guess apparently, and I am not into Monty Python, but maybe Emily, you can just, you can explain. I will very much. I am so glad that you asked. Um, Monty Python, The Search for the Holy Grail. Um there are a group of people who call themselves the Knights Who Say Me, and they the the uh, the characters in Monty Python end up coming across them, and they're trying to go through the forest. And the knights are like, "You cannot go through our forest, or we shall say me to you again." And the characters are like, oh, "We just let it, let us take the shortcut through your forest," and they're like, "No." Unless you bring us a shrubbery. And they're like, a shrubbery? And they're like, yes. And then it's it's a whole, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. And it's absolutely hilarious because every time the knights, because the knights are giant and they're like, we will say knee to you. And then all the, all the knights are like, knee, knee. And then um, our, our beloved characters that they're, that we're following along on this quest for the Holy Grail, um, they're acting as if hearing the word is painful. Um, and then they come back, they get a shrubbery, they bring it back. And the knights have changed their name from the knights who say me to the knights who say icky, icky, patang. Sorry, I will keep going. I will stop there. <laughs> There, it's 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 a British movie. It's a British comedy. It's dry humor. It's absolutely hysterical. And very cult following. Isn't John Cleese in it? Uh, I'd have to look. Um, try it I out. So. I, like I think it. it's hysterical. Oh my God. Um, it's not for everyone, but. I can almost guarantee that if Holy Grail isn't your bag, you should try a different Monty Python movie okay. because there there's a Monty Python for everyone. So back to this, like where we were going with the shrub. <laughs> so apparently long ago, the Babylonians and Romans were mixing vinegar with water to, I guess, make a drink. And the word shrub is allegedly derived from the Arabic word sharba, which translates as drink. And so yeah. literally like a shrub is just a mixture of um, vinegar and fruit from what I'm, what I'm finding in my research here. And I first came across them, Jason and I went to this um, restaurant here in New Braunfels over five years ago, I think there's, they still exist. We just haven't been because they're kind of expensive and always packed for brunch and stuff. So anyway, um, we went and they were offering very, they called them shrubs and I'm like, Hmm, what's this? And they, um, they mix them with sparkling water, but I think they also mixed them with, um, you can add alcohol if you want. Um, and at that time, uh, I was 
drinking alcohol. So I think I probably did imbibe in whatever alcohol they were doing, but um, they still taste, um, I've had them with, again, just sparkling water and they're really, I think they're really good. And um, so I'm gonna experiment with making my own and I've got one on the counter actually right now. It's um, basically the recipe that I found is you, um, you take uh, berries. Um, so for example, I used fresh raspberries and fresh blueberries and I just, I mashed them up. And then I added about a cup of sugar and it's basically that sugar is gonna break down the fruit to where you just kind of have like a goopy, gloppy mess. <laughs> And then um, you're going to usually, I said, I think, let it sit for about a day um, at room temperature, which I'm a little weary about, but I think it'll be fine. And then um, you're going to strain that through a cheesecloth or through some other fine mesh, um, a sieve or something, into a sterilized and otherwise clean jar. And then you're going to add your vinegar of choice. And so I don't know yet if I'm going to try um, apple cider vinegar. I've got some rice wine vinegar, I think. Um, potentially you could do balsamic. Um, I think I might try that with figs um, at some point. I think that might taste good. So You can then, also do wine vinegar, which is a thing. Yeah. And I didn't know that was a thing. Really? I didn't. Like red yeah, wine vinegar? I, no, I did oh. not know that was okay. a thing. Um, but I found some at the, at the Hong Kong market yesterday. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, crap. Oh, God. Sorry, what? I'm facing a catastrophe. Oh, my God. What is Kevin doing? He's doing mischief. Oh, and he, he was also being a cat podcaster, and I'll text you your <laughs> pictures. So, so, yeah, so the shrubs seem super easy to make and like your imagination, I think is probably your only limit. Um, and so, yeah, I think um, we will be experimenting with those to create some fun mocktail mocktails. And, um, oh, also the second week, I guess next week um, of January is National Mocktail Week. Yay! And I don't, I, I, I want to do something. I don't know what we're going to do. Maybe put out like every day, a new mocktail on social. I don't know if y'all have suggestions on maybe what you want to see or how you, how we should celebrate or participate. Let us know. Yes. I'm, I just got, oh my gosh. Yes. I'm excited. I just got, um, a small thing of tonic waters and seltzer waters because they're apparently different. I am yes. learning all sorts of things about mocktails. So awesome. I don't even know what's the difference between seltzer water and club soda, but I will be learning. I think they're the same thing. Okay. I think they're the same thing. Tonic, tonic uh, usually has, um, oh. Tonic has junk in it. Extra stuff. Yeah, it's got extra stuff. To it's give got that, extra stuff. That taste. Yeah. Tonic was supposed to be used to help um, cure sicknesses. And they had tried coming up with a cure for malaria, and they were adding that quinine. To, uh, oh, they were yeah, adding quinine. that to yes. tonic. Yes. Yes. And, oh, I have an idea <laughs> oh for God. what to add 
to our Patreon. A whole deep dive into the cure for malaria, being in tonic water, and the mauve madness going across Europe. Oh, okay. Very, that sounds interesting. Very random, very fun. Well, and I think that's what the Patreon like could be used for, is maybe very, things that very don't random. quite <laughs> align with the true crimey aspect. Um, but it goes with mocktails. But it goes with mocktails. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so so yes um okay so we're super excited um happy 2023 and happy new, um, year. happy new year and you can find us on facebook and instagram at malice and mocktails and if you want you can email us at malice and mocktails at gmail.com and until next time bye make good choices Yes, cheers and make good choices.